Jeremiah 23, verse 9 through 15. Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me. All my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers. Because of the curse, the land mourns. And the pastures of the wilderness are dried up. Their course is evil, and their might is not right. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house I have found their evil, declares the Lord. Therefore their way shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness, into which they shall be driven and fall. For I will bring disaster upon them, and the year of their punishment declares the Lord. I saw, and the prophet of Samaria, I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Bel and led my people Israel astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen their hand as evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, a godliness hath gone out into the land. Thus ends the reading, the very words of God. One time, as you know, I took a job as my first call as a youth pastor in the Bay Area, California. And I lived in this little county called Lake County, just north of the Bay. And it's in the Emerald Triangle, if you know what that is, shame on you. But anyway, I lived there, and there were some odd people there. One of the people there said, Travis, uh, our son is in your youth ministry, would you like to come and go to dinner? And I said, yes, I'll come and go to dinner. And I walked in their house, and you know, it had... A lot of bamboo everywhere, a lot of beads, a lot of earthy things. I was like, this is very, very interesting. And I remember, I was like, they're grilling. I can, I can eat grilled food. We go to eat, and they had this little salad. They, they had some type of sweet potato fry looking thing and homemade buns. I was like, oh, that's cool. I've never seen a homemade bun before. That's neat. And you get your burger, and, and I've bitten that burger. And I'll never forget the taste. Something was off. It just didn't taste right. And you know, I learned the missionary prayer. I didn't pray to that time. I learned it later. Like, God, I'll, I'll, I'll put this down, but you have to keep it down. So, but, but, <laughs> but I kept eating this burger. And I got done, and they were, we were talking. And, and his wife casually said, the man's wife said, how did you enjoy your burger? I was like, well, it's not, it's not the kind we have in the South. It was okay, and you know, she was really, I heard the word is crunchy now, and not granoli, and she said, well, well, that's an imitation burger. I said, oh, <laughs> imitation cow meat, 2000. I heard they gotten better, I don't know, I won't try them, but it was a plant-based burger. I don't know who invented this, maybe Satan, but it sure did not taste <laughs> like a burger. It was just an imitation burger. And you've eaten food that's imitation something, and you're like, something is just off. There have been imitation prophets.
from the beginning of time. Imposters. They're posers. They say they're one thing, but they're not. What we're going to hear tonight in Jeremiah, you would have thought was preached this week. It is technically preached right now, but you would think, did he just write it this week? No, he, he wrote this quite a while ago. He wrote this maybe in 600 B.C. And here we are seeing it now. And if you're taking notes, we're going to see four things. Broken hearts because of the prophets. Recognizing false prophets. Sexuality of the false prophet. And punishment of the false prophet. Broken heart because of false prophets. Recognizing false prophets. Sexuality of the false prophets. And punishment of the false prophets. And, and as I was reading verses 9 and 10, I was thinking about where I was Thursday night. Thursday night, some of us went to this, this gala for the Savannah Care Center. And the Savannah Care Center is an incredible place. Uh, Christians and people from all over the community put money and time into a place that helps women when they become pregnant. They go and this place is able to help them. And at one time they needed an ultrasound machine. This is like a 4D ultrasound machine, not like the, the ones that are 2D or 3D. This is, was an amazing ultrasound machine. And the Knights of Columbus, who is a Roman Catholic group, put their time and money together to purchase that ultrasound machine. And before, praise God, the, the abortion clinic across the street was closed, there was a lot of Roman Catholics there and Christians there praying and ate at a table with a couple Roman Catholic ladies who put their money where their mouth is. They served there. And I remember when, when they were going to have the prayer for the food, the Roman Catholic priest gets up and he starts to pray. My, my stomach started to turn a little. It did. And he gets done praying and he, he says in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I think with my mouth, I didn't want it to come out, but it did. I was like, and Mary, right? Because you have to put her, because she's already venerated up to, to, to the sovereign now, right? So really, and I started thinking to myself, Travis, you didn't, you're, you're going to get up here and preach this, and here you can't even follow what Jeremiah is talking about here. See, there's a time when Jeremiah goes John Knox and Martin Luther. And there's a time for that. But see, there's also a time for us to have compassion on those who have bad doctrine, you know, I, I sat there with the ladies at the table, and, and part of me wants to say, you know what, these ladies, they don't know what the Council of Trent teaches. <laughs> they don't. They don't know that they're supposed to not like me because I believe in justification by faith and faith alone, and Council of Trent says I'm a heretic. I'll wear that gladly if they call me that from them. They've never read Thornwell's Sacrament of Sorcery, which is an incredible book, by the way. They've never read that. They don't understand that. The priest does. And people will teach false doctrine, false prophecy. And look what Jeremiah says here. And if you think he's saying something different, let me know. But he says in verse 9, Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me. All my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and because of his holy words. He says, I, because of God's holiness and because people are teaching contrary to his holiness, I'm having compassion on them. And I thought, do we have compassion on people who are teaching contrary to God's word? 
oftentimes they're easy to nail and hit and punch, especially here at me. Right? I don't want to do it. I got, a, I got a lot to go through the rest of the night. But do we have compassion on them? And I started thinking about my own life at one time, how I would have defended the fact that there was going to be no literal tribulation. I wouldn't have to go through that. I'd be out of this world. I'd be caught up in the air. As Kirk Cameron taught me. Woo, right? I didn't know any different. Or there was a time where I thought my baptism was an outward sign of an inward reality. I didn't realize it was an outward sign of God's promises to grow His church like the Abrahamic covenant promise made to His people and to their offspring. I, I didn't know that. Never thought about it. Never crossed my mind one time. And I thought about how many changes I've had. How many times that I remember... I was taught, if you read the King James and you read the NIV, you're going to see the difference. I'll see the difference. I didn't know a lick of Hebrew and Greek. Of course there's a difference because there's the, the difference is in the Greek. Mr. Erasmus, you know that. I know some of you do. We need to learn to have compassion on some of these people. And here's the reason we want to have compassion. Look at verse 10. For the land is full of adulterers. Because of the curse, the land mourns. And the pastures of the wilderness are dried up. Their course is evil and their might is not right. Meaning, because of the, the terrible teaching of the prophets, now the land is full of people acting like them and following what they teach. False teachers call irreputable damage to souls. This is why it should break our hearts. Because their teaching is followed by people and many of them will go on to perish forever. You have seen Jeremiah rail against false prophets. But has compassion ever crossed your mind? One time. I had to ask myself that question, so I'm not here beating you up. I said, Travis, have you ever been compassionate to them? There's going to be a time for John Knox and Martin Luther, because Jeremiah will change his tune soon. This is what he starts with. And I think sometimes we need to look aside and say, you know what? If it weren't for grace, where would we be in our theology? I think it was not too long ago. Hebrews 6. We will move on, what? If God permits. If I'm reading that rightly, it seems as if God permits some and doesn't permit others. But by God's grace, He has permitted us. We have tasted and we have seen and we continue in faith. Therefore, we understand. So let's have compassion when we need to have compassion. But at the same time, we don't take our head and we bury it in the sand and we say, oh, there's no such thing as false prophets. No, no, this is not what Jeremiah says. Second point of the sermon, recognizing false prophets. You have to recognize the false prophets. Look at verse 11. Both prophet and priest are ungodly, even in my house I have found their evil, declares the Lord. See, it's easy to look at outside of the world and say, you know what, they're, they're, they're primarily outside of the world. No, Jeremiah says, listen here, they're in your own house. They're in the temple of the Lord. They're making sacrifices to God and then they're making sacrifices to false gods in the house of the Lord. 
It was Machen in his book, Christian and Liberalism, and says, outside of the church is not the biggest enemies. The biggest enemies are within the church. Within the church, the church walls. We're so concerned about what other people think when we forget the enemies come in and destroy us. God says there are ungodly priests and prophets in your house. There are enemies within the gates. Wolves are really dangerous when they get into the pen. It's within the church. Therefore, their way shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness into which they shall be driven and fall. For I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. This is where they're going to end up. This is where those who teach falsely within the church are going to end up. We cannot take our heads and bury it in the sand and say, you know what? Satan's not going to want to destroy us by bringing people within the church. That's exactly the way he destroys us. By bringing us in the church. You have elders that are concerned about that. You vote elders in that will defend the truth. I've heard it said... I believe it was the prayer this morning Rob prayed. He was thankful that in this pulpit are people that preach the gospel. You know partly the reason why? Because I know a bunch of Bereans in this church that wouldn't allow it any other way. That's your responsibility too. You throw a fit if someone doesn't preach the gospel. If I'm preaching contrary to the word, you throw a fit. That's what we do. We don't put up and tolerate in our church false doctrine. But Satan's going to send us people. Mark my words, this is how he does it. Which brings the third part of the sermon, how he does it. Which is just fascinating. Remember, this is 600 B.C., possibly 584, sometime in that time period. He does it with sex. Sex sales. I don't know if you remember, this is the first Super Bowl commercial, maybe in 2001 or two. There were GoDaddy commercials. I'll never forget it. It was a big deal. Were they really going to be that sexual in a commercial? Carl's Jr., Hardee's, Calvin Klein really jumped on the bandwagon. I mean, it was all over your TV. And this was not cable. This was regular TV. You watch a good movie show or show lately? You'll watch a show and you'll be like, man, this is a really good plot line. Next thing you know, there's a sex scene. You're like, what on earth does that have to do with anything of the show? It's as if they have to put it in there because sex still continues to sell. Look at verse 13. In the prophets of Samaria, I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Bel and led my people astray. See, there in Samaria, they were worshiping Baal. And what was the attraction to Baal worship? You ever think about this? Baal is the rain god. What's the attraction to the Baal worship? You need to rain for the crops. Part of the attraction was, how did Baal give you rain? Well, you'd go into the temple, and there'd be a temple prophetess, and you would 
of sexual relations with her and Baal would bless you with rain. You can see how the world would say, well, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a Baal worshiper. So Satan gets you, huh? He gets you with sexual practices. That's how he led Israel astray. Right? He creates something good. And here comes Satan taking what God has created good and he perverts it. He's been doing it for years. He's incredible at it. Look at verse 14. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. So it's not like they were above board. They might not have been calling it bell worship, but they were committing adultery, sexual acts, as if there was no problem at all. No shame. They weren't removed from office, were they? Nope. Eh, it was completely okay. They weren't any better than the Baal worshippers. They strengthened the hand of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, a place where anything goes. That was the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Whatever you wanted your heart to do, you could go and do it. Those dark crevices of your heart, those, those thoughts that you have, go to Sodom and Gomorrah. What stays, what happens in Sodom and Gomorrah stays in Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what they thought. That was the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was evil, it was wicked. Anything you wanted to do sexually, you could experience in Sodom and Gomorrah. Satan takes sexuality and perverts it and it has become the battleground of the church, but it has always been the cry of the false prophets. It's always been their tool. I don't know if you've been following the news in the Anglican church. This is why it's important to many of us, because we were here in Savannah. We prayed for Christ Church Anglican. Used to meet downtown at the Episcopal Church, right there in the Johnson Square. Beautiful church. They fought for that church. The Anglican church fought for the church because the Episcopal church was going to put women who were homosexual as pastor in that church. And they said, no, we want to stand up for the truth. And they fought. They lost. Supreme Court ruled in favor of the Episcopal church. And they took their church and they worshiped an independent Presbyterian church for about three years until they built their church. These are God-fearing people who love Jesus. And now they're a part of an organization called the Anglican church, which is the Church of England. They just voted 250 to 81 to allow bishops to endorse same-sex unions and bless it. But see, here's the catch. When you actually read, the more progressives didn't have the numbers. This is how tricky it is. Now, Presbyterians are perking their ears up because they're like, yeah, tell us about the inside, right? They didn't have the numbers. So you know what they did? They changed the language of the overture. And what they said was, what we'll do is we'll keep the Anglican church views still biblical, historical, Christian truth, that union is between a man and a woman, that's all that marriage can be, but we'll allow the churches to do what they want to do. 
Did you get that? Our official statement is, is union is between a man and a woman, but individual churches can make that decision. And that won out 250. They need 250 pass. It won out 250 to 181. They knew it just wouldn't pass outright. So they finagled it a little bit to get it to pass. And what they've done is they've taken the discipline of a pastor who goes contrary to the word of God, they've taken it off the table now. They've lost the ability to remove their pastors and bishops. Jeremiah knew if you don't remove these false prophets, if you have no power and authority to remove them, it's going to be complete destruction. Maybe you've been following what's going on in the Southern Baptist Church. The SBC. Saddleback, the, the Pastor Rick Warren's church. This just came out last week. Saddleback's church, Rick Warren's church, has new pastors. Andy and Stacy Woods, his wife's a pastor too. Problem? Of course that's a problem, but that's not my point today. They asked them on YouTube questions. And this is the question that was posed to them this week on YouTube. If two men who are married come to know Christ, do they need to get divorced? Andy and Stacy said, wow, that's, you know, God does hate divorce. Do you see what they just did? Malachi says God hates divorce, and he does. But they did the same thing Deuteronomy 21 is talking about. People who are using once married, always married as a tool of the enemy. Right? God allows divorce for hardened hearts, for people who don't want to serve Christ properly. He understands that some people aren't going to serve Christ properly. He understands. That's why Moses said it. It makes sense. They took the law of God and they used it wrongly. Now, wait a minute. Let's talk about the PCA here. By the way, I think it's the best of all the denominations. We voted last year to codify that marriage is between a man and a woman. It was already in all of our confessions, but we made sure it was in our Book of Church Order because we made a section of the Book of Church Order binding that used not to be binding. We made it binding. That way chaplains aren't forced in the military to do something they're not supposed to do. So we are the best of all the denominations. But have you ever got COVID before? And like six weeks later, you still got that little irritating cough. <coughs> it's like it won't go away. It's not a big cough. It's like a little, little cough. <coughs> and the PC, we still got that little cough <coughs> that we just can't seem to smash out. We try to make a clear overture to tell people, listen here, from the very beginning in the times of Jeremiah, it seems the false prophets were using sexuality to bring people in. They've been doing it with the Baals. They did it there, and Jeremiah's preaching against it. And let's make it clear to the world that where we stand on this. And people, <coughs> we, we don't want to lead with condemnation. It's like they pick and choose where they want to lead in condemnation. And you got Presbyterians like me and many others who are like, listen, we call out racism because it's sinful. We call out other sexual sins because it's sinful. 
been doing it for years and we'll continue to do it. But we have to tell people the truth. We have to tell society what is true and what's not if they're asking us questions. And what's really fascinating is if you look at the sexuality, how Satan likes to pervert it and get into the church. I read this. Pornography, 68% of men who love Jesus struggle with pornography in the church. In every local church, including Presbyterian, Reformed, good, godly ones. And 25% of women struggle with that. Ages 10 to 11, children are introduced to that. They're watching so many things online. It just comes up. It's plaguing our churches. It plagued people in the time of Jeremiah. It destroyed their culture. It destroyed their temple. It destroyed their way of life. It destroyed their entire religion. It destroyed their, their holiness. It destroyed them. And it will be the battleground for our church. And I hear people say, do you love them? I mean, is that really loving? Let me tell you something. First off, you're to love your Lord, your God first. But it is very loving to warn people. If someone's about to go shoot up heroin in their veins, we don't say, well, you know what? We can't be. No, you warn them. You say, no, I'm not going to let you walk out and do this. I'm not going to let you destroy your life. It is loving to warn people that your sexual sin will destroy your life. We can't be afraid of what will take place. You're saying, Travis, are you going to put this online? Yeah, I'm going to put this online. Five years from now, I'll probably be in jail for preaching this sermon, but I don't care. Satan is destroying our churches. It seems that every denomination is trying to deal with this. And at the end of the day, it's nothing new. It destroyed this church. He says the false prophets are actually using it and promoting it to destroy their church. And we know that every single cult, you've seen all those documentaries of the cults, they always seem to mix sex and religion, don't they? It seems like it's always mixed. And this is what Jude says. This is what's, what's fascinating me. Jude, verse 4, says, Certain people have crept in unnoticed long ago who were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God and the sensuality. So they pervert God's grace and they kind of mix it with sensuality. And then the next two verses, he talks about angels who in the beginning of time basically try to pervert themselves by doing things that was unnatural, like Sodom and Gomorrah. Don't know what it was, I have my ideas. But it seems like from the beginning of time, angels, even angels have tried to mix the holy with sexuality, and they have been perverted. The ones that fell with Satan were perverted. It's like they saw something they wanted, and it was perverted, and it was unnatural, and they went and did that. So this is nothing new. We just can't bear our hands and heads in the sand. We have to be able to see it. It, it will be the battleground that destroys the church. And if you think this train is moving fast, it is. Very fast. Very, very fast. 
which brings us to the third part of this sermon, the punishment of the false prophets. We read, Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets. Verse 14 and 15, when it talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, I don't know if you've ever heard this before as we talk about the destruction and the punishment. Have you ever heard people say, the church sometimes yells at sexual sin when God whispers? You ever heard that? A lot of winsome, winsome people like to say that. You know, the church sometimes yells at sexual sin when God whispers. I don't know if you've ever read Genesis 19, but by the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation of the land. That doesn't sound like whispering to me. He destroyed them. It was a wicked place. And Jeremiah reminds them, this is how you have become. And he says, this is what will take place. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into the land. It was wicked. And if you think about how wicked it was, if you remember when Lot lived in Sodom, when you read Genesis 18 and 19, and then you read Hebrews that Lot was righteous, you have to understand when you live in Sodom and Gomorrah, you will do perverted things too. Even if you were a Christian, you lived in that land so long, he even was willing to give up his daughters. You live in Sodom and Gomorrah long enough, you're going to do some wicked things. And in this land, the reason they're going to be destroyed is because the prophets were preaching it was okay. There was no way to remove them. There's no way to discipline them. And now the whole entire land was wicked like Sodom and Gomorrah. Do whatever you want to do. And some of these people, and just remember, they were all God's covenant people. They were all God's covenantal people. Let that sink in. Some you will see in glory one day. And why? It's because of grace. God will have to remove them from the land. And when He removes them from the land, they go into Babylon. Many of them will stay and perish. They'll be like Lot's wife. They will love Jerusalem. They're not going to get out. They're not going to go anywhere. They're going to go to Babylon and God is going to save them. And he is. And the reason Jeremiah gives this warning is because there's hope in Christ. If you've been listening to our Romans series, thank you, Ra, for plugging Sunday school this morning. But if you've been listening, you will see that God has saved you and the sin that we have no longer has a hold on us anymore. We are free. 
The only reason you go back is because you choose to, like we heard today, because you like it, right? The inward man inside of you. You are free, but you have this inward man that you have to learn to kill and destroy. As we've been going over even above, starving and starving and starving it, starving it and starving it. But you're free in Christ. The blood of Jesus has cleansed you from all your sins. doesn't matter how wicked we were at one time. The blood of Jesus not only saves us, but has changed us. As we close, maybe you grew up like me. My mom used to buy us Big K Cola. Future Cola, Mr. Budget Cola, Dr. Thunder, Dr. Slice. They were good, but it wasn't Coca-Cola. <laughs> there is nothing like a glass of Coca-Cola. It's the best from Georgia. I mean, you can't, you can't get any better. And some people can't tell the difference. But see, if you drink Coca-Cola enough, the real thing, you'll be able to tell the difference. And you may ask yourself, well, with all this going on in the world, how can I tell the difference between the false prophets and the true ones? Jeremiah has a lot to say about that, and I'll get into that next week. But, but I think one of the major differences is you have to be putting yourself under a steady diet of good prophets. The good prophet, Jesus, you have to sit under him and sit under historical Christian teaching. It doesn't take much of a Google search. We have Google search now. It's really easy. I don't know if you have Google. You pull it up, you judge it. To see what the early church has believed for 2,000 years about something. It doesn't take much. Calvin... Whether you like it or not, if you read any commentary, all of them will say, let's talk about what Calvin said. All of them. Hands down. Might as well just go to Calvin and see what he says, because every commentary is going to talk about it. So you go to Calvin and you say, Calvin, what do you think one of the gifts of the church about something? Not to take my word for it. You can look it up yourself. It's all free online. Look at what the early church believed. Look at what historical Christianity has believed. What do the creeds teach? What I like about Christianity is we just kind of put it out there. This is what we believe for years. Especially the Presbyterians. Westminster Confession of Faith. It's public and ecclesial. You know what Travis Peacock believes. You know what our elders believe. You know what Pastor David believes. You don't have to ask Pastor David what he believes. All you do is read the confessions. That's what he believes. That's what he holds to. That's the question. You can read those. And you can read the scripture. Which next week I'll get into the opinions because he really gets into the opinions of the prophets and their dreams and visions. And he's like, he laughs at them, but that's next week. I encourage you to go to Christ. Sit under Christ. Get a steady diet. Get a steady diet of Christ. Get a steady diet of good theology. And then you will know if you've been drinking Big K Cola. Let's ask the Lord to bless the preaching of the word.